0: thanks for tuning in to the lake forest church podcast lake forest is a community for people who have given up on church but not on god if you'd like to learn more about our churches in huntersville davidson and denver north carolina you can check us out online at lakeforest.org This is a great way to start because uh, whether you recognize this or not, this sign was being held up to um, uh, to Aaron. I don't know if you know what this means. Um, how many of you know what this means? Yeah. And so uh, so Aaron didn't do this this morning, and just checking his zipper. And so while he was doing all of his announcements, uh, somebody in the crowd was trying to tell him your vices, that your zipper is down. And so... Uh, <laughs> Now that you're seated, uh, (laughs) this is the morning. Hey, good morning, Westlake. It's so fun to come to church and have fun. And uh, don't worry, we're gonna make fun of Aaron a little bit later too. So it's got more is coming. But uh, Aaron told you I'm Mitch, and it's just so good to be. Here. I always love coming here and being with you guys, and it's just so fun. And uh, and, and today's even more fun because of the sermon series that we're in—vices uh, and virtues—and and so I want to, as we launch into this, I want to just spend a few minutes kind of introducing the series, and and then we're gonna dig into uh, the Vice and the virtue we're going to talk about today. I'm going to be talking about envy and gratitude. Uh, And so, but I want to kind of let you know around this series, uh, we're we're excited about it because I'm going to really cut to the chase and just let you know. We're going to spend six weeks doing nothing but talking about sin. Isn't that fun? Six weeks specifically talking about the seven deadly sins, but that's all, that's what we're going to talk about is six weeks leading up to Easter. We'll be talking about sin. Um, and there's this funny thing about sin. Um, and, and, the biggest thing to understand is that we, we kind of define sin as ways that you and I both live that are contrary to the ways that God calls us to live. And He calls us to live in certain ways that bring life. But yet we've decided, I'm not sure I want to follow your route for that. I, I want to design my own route for that. In any way that we live that's contrary to what God has said, this is what brings life. Well, that's called sin. Now, there's this this thing about it is I can stop behaving in sinful ways. And that's kind of how we think about sin a lot of times is we clean up our act. And I can I can change my behaviors. You know, I can I can stop doing things like getting drunk, I can stop doing things like looking at pornography or gossiping or any kind of sexual immorality. And I, I can stop those things at least for a period of time and I can start feeling good. Okay, I'm behaving rightly, so I'm not sinning. But as I stop those things, I start to discover there's something else, there's a whole other level underneath that that's going on. And I I'm behaving rightly. But yet, then I discover my attitude really stinks. And so, I I get on this thing that I'm not getting drunk, I'm not looking at pornography, I'm not gossiping, I'm not being sexually immoral, but I notice I'm really selfish. I'm pretty bitter. Um, I'm still angry about things. I'm negative. I'm complaining about everything. I'm, I'm mad at what others get and, and what they have and what I don't have. And, and this is really where the kind of the seven deadly sins come to life is in our attitude. of, um, In fact, I, I recognize that I'm, I'm controlled by envy or greed, lust, gluttony, pride, laziness or wrath. And so I get on this mission. OK, I got to clean that up. So I'm behaving rightly, now I've got to get my attitude right. And so I work really hard, and I, and I actually accomplished this. And, and now I'm a person, I'm not getting drunk, I'm not looking at pornography, I'm not gossiping, I'm not sexually immoral. I, I've got a good handle, I'm not being lazy, I'm not being envious or greedy, I'm not being gluttonous or lustful, prideful or wrathful. And I'm actually starting to feel really good. Because life's kind of coming together. And my, my behavior is right, my attitude is right, and people are actually noticing, gosh, that guy, he's very positive, he's never complaining, he's always serving other people, he's just got a good outlook on life. He looks really good. And I'm feeling really good, and I start thinking as well in my brain, well, God must really be proud of me. God must really love me because I, I'm behaving right and my attitude is right, and then a light goes off. Dang it. Really? There's another level? I realize I've got my behavior right and my attitude to check, but I realize all this time I've been getting my behavior right and my attitude right for all the wrong reasons. My motive is wrong. My motive, as I look deep inside, I actually discover the only reason I've been doing this is I just want God to be proud of me. I want God to love me. I want people to be proud of me. I want people to love me. And so my, my whole uh, motive behind this is now out of line. And I actually keep digging deeper and I go, well, the reality is I, I just stopped behaving wrongly. And I started having a right attitude because I wanted guilt to go away. I felt guilty about the way I lived and I didn't want God to be mad at me. And so I just do these things so guilt would go away. But then as I discover a little bit more, it even goes even deeper. Because it's not just about getting guilt to go away. It's not just about getting God to love me. It's actually about controlling God. Because if I behave right and I have the right attitude, then God owes me. I'm doing things pretty good. So he's going to hook me up. And so we actually start living our life in a way that's kind of around this thing of if I do this and if I do this, then I control what God has to do. And I discover my whole motive is also sinful. So then I go on this next one. Okay, let's get the behavior right. Let's get the attitude right. Let's get the motive right. And I'm doing this and I'm going about it. Okay, I can do this. I can get all those things right. But then I discover... Well, the whole way you're going about doing that is wrong. All the ways that I go about getting my attitude, my behavior, and my motives right, those are wrong. And I have to step back and go, geez, how am I going to do this? And I look at it and I kind of go, it's a lot easier just to keep sinning. <laughs> Ever felt that way? Yeah. In my life, that's called every day. That's the battle that goes on every day. And I come to a place of going, Boy, wouldn't it just be a lot easier just to keep sinning? But every day of my life, I realize that my sin runs way deeper than I ever imagined. And every day that I follow Jesus, I actually discover that's exactly what he wants me to see. He wants us to see your sin runs to deeper levels than you ever imagined. And you'll never get it all right. That's why you need a Savior. That's why you need me. And so we thought as a church it'd be really fun to have an entire sermon series looking at how deep our sin really goes every week reminding you there's nothing you can do about it. Aren't we a warped group of people? So that's kind of where we're going. But I hope that you'll discover in the middle of this as we look at vices and virtues that these are things that we can live by. But it's all because we do have a Savior in Jesus Christ who's empowered us to do this. So today we're going to look at envy. And gratitude. We're going to recognize vices that run deeper than just our behavior and allowing Jesus to change that into giving us virtues that we can have life in. We're going to look in the Old Testament. We're going to spend most of our time in the Old Testament. I'm going to give you a lot of scripture today, Uh, so we're going to have it all up on the screen. But I also want to encourage you to go back and read this on your own. Uh, This is the best way to learn. I hope you're going to see some things really come to life in this scripture. I love reading the Bible, and it's so fun, and you're going to see some of those places. Us. Today, uh, it's convenient for me as I'm over here preaching at Wesley that we're going to talk about a guy named Aaron. I like talking about a guy named Aaron. We're going to talk about the guy in the Bible named Aaron, but some things to know about the guy in the Bible named Aaron. He's Moses' older brother. Okay, He's a prophet, but he's also a Levite. And being a Levite means that he's in the line of becoming the high priest so he's in a he's kind of the second man in charge. He's got everything together. He's in a perfect position. He's got leadership role. He's got great things coming to him. He's just got a lot of great stuff, but when Moses is away, he's supposed to kind of lead the people. And we get an example of what his leadership kind of looks like when Moses is away. We're going to look, at first, we're going to look at a backstory. Exodus chapter 32 is where we're going to be. Exodus is the second book in the Old Testament. And Moses is up on this mountain. And Moses is spending days with God, uh, getting the Ten Commandments, talking through all of that, talking through all of God's laws with him. And he's up there for days. And the people of Israel are wondering, what happened to this guy? So they look at Aaron Exodus chapter 32. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come make us gods, who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. So Aaron answered them, Take off all the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings, brought them to Aaron. You know what? Let's do something a little different. Let's kind of really get into this story. Let's kind of live this and just embrace it a little bit. I'll play the role of Moses, the guy who's kind of been away for a long time, okay? Aaron is, is perfect for you. I mean, Aaron, you're perfect for you to play Aaron, okay? Now, if you all would take off any gold that you have, um, any kind of gold that you have, earrings, jewelry, and if you just bring it to Aaron, you're going to donate this to the church. You're bringing He's going to do something for you. You guys aren't moving. Why not? <laughs> So this is what's going on. Aaron's saying, bring it all. He took what they handed him, made it into an idol, cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. That's a really, really important line. Okay, make sure you catch this, that Aaron has taken all of this and he's made an idol, cast in the shape of a calf, and he's fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. And when Aaron saw all this, he built an altar in front of the calf. And he also announced tomorrow there's going to be a festival to the Lord. There's going to be an egg hunt. Just kidding. The festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and they sacrificed burnt offerings, presented fellowship offerings. Afterwards, they sat down to eat. They drank. Then they got up and indulged in revelry. Now, there's a lot of sexual connotation behind that word revelry. And so they are worshiping this golden calf that Aaron has formed and shaped. Okay? And now there's ent- entertaining all kinds of sin. But this is what happened when Moses comes down. Moses then approaches the camp and saw the calf and the dancing. His anger burned and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf the people had made and burned it in the fire. Then he ground it to powder. He scattered it on the water and he made the Israelites drink it. And then he says to Aaron, What did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? Listen to Aaron's response Don't be angry, my Lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. So I told them, whoever has any gold, jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold. I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. I don't know how it happened. I just took it, threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. Now, if I were preaching anywhere else, I wouldn't pause it here. But because your lead pastor is Aaron, you have to pause at this. Because you can see this happening in his home. You can see Mary Robbins going off on a weekend. She's going away from the women's retreat. She's worked hard, go to the grocery store. She pays a lot of attention to the kids eating healthy. She spent hours at the grocery store packing the refrigerator with all this healthy food. So Aaron doesn't have to think about that. Just cook it, make sure it's all set. And she goes, she comes back on Sunday. Every kid's laid out with stomach aches, sick. The house is a mess. And she looks at Aaron and goes, what happened? And here's Aaron's answer. Do not be angry, my dear. You know how prone these kids are to evil. They wanted food. They kept begging me for dinner to fix something. And I said, fine, bring out all the stuff your mom went and bought for us to eat healthy. I put it all together. I threw it in an oven. And somehow Domino's and Krispy Kreme came out. I don't know how it happened, but that's how it happened. So you can identify with what's going on here. And Moses saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them get out of control. And so became a laughing stock to their enemies. The good news about this, Aaron, is you can always do that with Mary Robin. Say, hey, it's biblical. So, So you see, Aaron has an opportunity to take leadership. and He doesn't do so well in this one. Now we're going to move fast forward up a couple of uh, books in the Bible to the book of Numbers. But there's another character I want you to understand who's going on in this. There's a character named Miriam. Miriam is Moses' older sister. She's a prophetess. And so you see there's this family thing that's going on in leadership. The belief is that Miriam is the older sister of Moses that you can read about in Exodus chapter 1. She's the one that Moses' mother had to, as when he was an infant, put him in a basket in the river to save his life. And so she puts him in a basket, hoping someone would find him. His sister, Miriam, is tracking with it. A leader, one of the leaders in the uh, the community finds her, and so you can read the story, but basically through Miriam's quick thinking, she figures out a way that Moses can be reunited with his mother for a few more years without people ever knowing. And so she's brilliant. You also find later that after they, Moses leads the Israelites through the, uh, the river and the Egyptians all drown and they're saved, she picks up an instrument and she leads all the women in worship of God. And so she's seen as a real leader to the people of God. And so these are the two characters, uh, Aaron and Miriam, the right-hand people of Moses, so supposed to be there to lead and to guide and to help be there for him. So jump up into Numbers chapter 11. Numbers is the fourth book of the Bible. And we see the people of Israel, they're grumbling again. But this time it's because they're tired of the food they're eating. God had given them this little bread called manna. And for a while they were just thrilled about it, just to have something to eat. But over time, like anything, no matter how great it is, you start taking it for granted. And so now they're complaining, we want meat. We need some meat. And they're grumbling. And this is where we pick up the story, Numbers 11. Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance of their tents. The Lord became exceedingly angry. And Moses was troubled. He asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land that you promised on oath to their ancestors? Where can I get meat for all of these people? They keep wailing at me. Give me meat to eat. And I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you're going to treat me, God, go ahead and kill me. If I found favor in your eyes, though... Don't let me, my face see my own ruin. Moses is done. He is fed up with these people. He's got these people he's supposed to be leading complaining. And he's got God mad. And he's right in the middle. And he's saying, you put this on me. Where am I supposed to find help? Where, how am I supposed to carry all this burden? And your question should be, where are Aaron and Miriam? They're supposed to be there. To help him. We find them in chapter 12, verse 1. Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses. Because of his Cushite wife. For he had married a Cushite. So there's another thing that's going on underneath this. Here's the story of what's going on. When Moses is at a breaking place, his lowest point. The main two people that are supposed to help him are there mad about something else. And they're complaining about his leadership. You see, Moses married a Cushite woman. And Miriam knew that this woman was righteous. She was holy. But part of what Moses was doing to pay attention to God's leadership is he withdrew himself from intimacy with his wife. And Miriam and his wife, are they're mad about this. But Miriam and Aaron are both married as well. And they've not withdrawn themselves from their spouse and intimacy. And so they're kind of going, well, who is Moses to think he's better than all of us? And they're starting to get upset. And so this is what we find them talking about. Verse 2. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses? They asked. Hasn't he also spoken through us? And here's the kicker. And the Lord heard this. See, Moses isn't the only one that God speaks to, they think. Why is he right? Why are we wrong? God speaks to us. Who's to say that we're not the right ones? And God's listening to this. Now, there are times when you're reading Scripture, you just got to grab a hold of it and You got to laugh. And here's the next line is one of those. Here's what you need to know. The book of Numbers, all first five books of the Bible, written by Moses. So Moses is recording this. And this is what you read next. Now Moses was a very humble man. More humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Is that not a trip? You wonder if Moses was humble? Just ask him. He'll tell you. The story goes on. At once the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, come out to the tent of meeting. All three of you. Ooh. So the three of them come out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud. He stood at the entrance to the tent, and he summoned Aaron and Miriam. And when the two of them stepped forward, he said, You listen to my words. When there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is a faithful in all my house. With him I speak face to face, clearly, clearly not in riddles, he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And he's saying that you should be very afraid to question what I have called Moses to. The anger of the Lord burned against them and he left them. When the cloud lifted from above the tent, Miriam's skin was leprous. It became as white as snow. Aaron turned toward her and saw that she had a defiling skin disease. And he said to Moses, Please, my Lord, I ask you not to hold against us the sin we've so foolishly committed. Don't let her be like a stillborn infant coming from his mother's womb with his flesh half eaten away. That's just really gross. He didn't have to go into all that detail. So Moses cried out to the Lord, Please, God, heal her. And the Lord replies to Moses, if her father has spit in her face, would she not have been in disgrace for seven days? You can find her outside the camp for seven days. After that, she can be brought back. So Miriam was confined outside the camp for seven days. And the people did not move until she was brought back. Now in Old Testament times, when a child is disobedient to the parent, at a certain level, the parent could actually spit in the child's face to show how disgraceful their obedience was. Okay, let's do something a little different today. Let's get really get into the story. So, dads, if your kid is right beside you, okay, let's just act like they were disobedient to you. Go ahead, let's follow Old Testament guidance in that. But they were allowed in this in their disobedience... This is how serious they took disobedience to a father. That if they do that, they could spit in their face, and then they are ex- they are kicked out of the camp, put in time out for at least seven days. And so that's what's happening here. And that you see the story. Got your head around the story of what's going on? Let's seriously now ask. Well, what does this mean for me? The biggest part you got to notice in this story is the sin of Miriam and Aaron is envy. The heart of what's going on in this is their envy of Moses. Envy is defined as an emotion which occurs when a person lacks another superior quality, achievement, or possession, and they either desire it or wish that the other lacked it. Aristotle defines uh, envy as pain at the sight of another's good fortune, stirred by those who have what we ought to have. See, I think we can understand what envy is. We can recognize it. And two the, the key ways that people deal with envy is you wish you had more than that person or you wish that person had less. And so we spend our lives, for those who live in envy, we spend day in and day out doing anything we possibly can to be better than that person or make that person worse. And that's a hard way to live. So three things I want you to notice about envy. First, when it comes to envy, it's very, very easy to recognize in somebody else. I can bet every way that I just described about envy, you can think of somebody else. Let me keep going. Let me describe it, see who you think of. It's uh, clear to recognize. Don't you know somebody who always feels like they, someone has more than they? And they're always thinking, uh, I, that person's got more than me. Do you know someone who's constantly driven for the next thing? Always thinking, my life will be better if I had this. Do you know somebody who's very unhappy, never content, always talking about what they don't have, never able to celebrate what someone else has achieved? You ever gone to someone and celebrated something, but nothing in them will let them celebrate it with you? Do you know somebody who wants what others have, but they just don't want the hardship in getting to it? See, it's really easy to recognize envy, especially in somebody else. Here's the second thing about envy, though. It's never easy to see in ourselves. Because instead, we call it fairness, justice, getting my rights. We get angry, we get bitter, but it's all in the name of getting what's fair. It's just. I should have that. And we think it's okay. See, it's so hard to recognize it in ourselves. We can dismiss it in going, well, I deserve this. Yet the Bible teaches us that one of the best ways to recognize envy in ourselves, in our own lives, is recognizing bitterness, recognizing hatefulness, and recognizing anything in us that causes dissension. We're given counsel, actually, in James chapter 3 on how to deal with envy in our own lives. James chapter 3, verse 14. If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it. Or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. In other words, it's saying if you're bitter about something, you are angry about something, you want what is right. I want what is fair. Then the Bible will say, don't boast about that. Because it is a very clear uncovering your bitterness and anger and hatefulness is actually revealing your envy. It's not about you trying to get what's right and fair. It's about you wanting more than someone else. And the Bible says don't boast about it. Though our world says, no, the earth says it's get what's fair, get what's right, be mad, be angry, go after it. But the scriptures tell us in verse 17, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, is peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial, sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Big difference the way our world tells us to deal with what's right and fair and what the scriptures tell us. Third thing I want you to see about envy, Proverbs 14.30. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Envy will destroy you. It will destroy your health. Your emotions, it wears on your sleep as you lie in bed at night angry and bitter. It will destroy your marriage. It will destroy your relationship with friends, with, their ch- with your children. It will deeply affect your work. It will never, ever allow you to grow spiritually. It envy rots the bones. It runs so deep to where it can rot even your bones. Miriam had everything in line for her. She was in a perfect place. She was in a wonderful place. Everybody else, all the Israelites would have wanted to be where Miriam is. But she couldn't have what Moses had. And it led to her disease of her skin rotting off of her body. And leaving her in exile out of community with people. That's what envy can do. It rots to the bone. And so therefore, for the rest of our time, I want to talk to you about how to leave envy behind and how to embrace the virtue of gratitude. Three behaviors that I want to encourage you to take on. And in taking them on, I promise you, as you take these behaviors on, your body will stop oozing envy. It will start to ooze gratitude. The three things uh, to battle against envy, I encourage you to pray that the Lord would teach you to live in submission to live in contentment and to walk humbly. Now our world wants to look at all three of these things and give us different counsel. You see, our world says to us, submission, well, that's, that's the dirtiest word you can use in our culture. You don't submit to anybody. No authorities, nothing. Contentment, keep striving, keep driving. Once you hit the top, keep moving, never be content. Humbleness, oh, that's for losers. That's for the passive. That's for those who are scared. That's the counsel that our world would give us. But the scriptures would give us something different. And here's what I can tell you. If you want to have a healthy marriage, if you want to raise confident, well-rounded children, if you want to have life-giving friendships, if you want to be successful in your workplace, if you want to grow leaps and bounds in your spiritual life, it will require you learning, submission, contentment, and humbleness. You cannot do those things without having those three behaviors. Submission. Romans 13.1 tells us, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Whether we like it or not. Government, bosses, marriage. Ephesians 5.21 says, Husband and wife submit to one another parents to children, teachers to students, officers of the law to citizens, all authority is established by God. Yet we live in a culture which we don't want to be submissive to anyone. We think of it as being weak, being controlled. But for those of us that are followers of Jesus, here's what you need to know. If you are not willing to submit to authority, you're going against the very design that God put in place. You see, submission has nothing to do with another person being better than you. It has everything to do with people having different roles and responsibilities. That everybody involved needs that person to play that role and that responsibility. Otherwise, everything falls apart. Submission is not about being less. It has, it's about agreeing to a role to help everybody involved be better. God's angry at Moses and Miriam for not recognizing that Moses' role is unique. Aaron, you don't want his role. You've proven that. He's not better than you. He has a different responsibility and you need to submit to his authority. That's why God's mad. Jesus teaches us that submission is key to us living He submits to his father's plan while he hangs on a cross. This is the cross that we're moving toward for Easter. And everybody tempts him. You have the power. Take yourself down. But yet he says, no, I will submit to my father's plan. And it's not about being better. It's about I'm humbling. I'm putting myself in a better plan. I'm playing my role so everyone would have life. Contentment. Our culture says you can't be content. Keep driving. Don't stop until you get to the top. Here's the funny thing. as as you think you're at the top, there's another top. And then there's another one. Don't believe me? Who's the greatest basketball player of all time? No. Used to be Dr. J. Then it became Michael Jordan. Now everybody thinks it's LeBron James. Still debate. Guess what? LeBron James has got his eye on... A guy named Zion. And he knows his time is limited as well. Because there's a guy named Zion who's going to leave for the NBA after one year with an amazing shoe deal. Okay? And so he's going to the pros with this unbelievable shoe deal. And LeBron knows there's only a matter of time. But here's what we also learn about each of those. uh, The book of Ecclesiastes chapter 4. He's looking, he sees, I saw that all toll and all achievement spring from one person's envy of another. Every toll, every achievement is only because somebody is envying somebody else. The, this too is meaningless. A chasing after the win. If you're spending your whole life, I've just got to get better than that person. i just got to get better than that person. Everything you do is driven just because you're living out of envy of someone else. And it will rot your life to the bones. If we don't learn to be content, your entire life will be chasing the wind. Humility. Humility has nothing to do with having a poor self-image. It has nothing to do with thinking less of yourself. It has everything to do with not thinking higher than yourself. But it has nothing to do with thinking lower of yourself. Humility can be, I'm the most humble man on earth, wrote Moses. Humility can be Matthew chapter 11, Jesus saying about himself, take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle, I am humble in heart. We don't see Jesus as having a bad self-image. We don't see Jesus as being prideful. Humility is about being willing to take a lower spot. It doesn't mean that you have to be lower and woe is me. I'm worse than everybody else. The greatest picture of humility is when Jesus comes in and washes his disciples' feet. And he says, I'm choosing a lower position. But Peter has a problem with this. When he comes to wash Peter's feet, Peter says, no, I'm worse than you. Let me do this. And Jesus looks at him and says, humility has nothing to do with you saying you're worse than me. Humility has everything to do with me saying, I know who I am. I know where I'm going. I know where I come from. And I'm choosing to serve you. And that's why we hear these words before Jesus washes their feet. John chapter 13. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. And that he had come from God and he was returning to God. And because he knew those things, he could choose to humble himself and to wash his disciples' feet. If you are a follower of Jesus, that's the heart of it. Know who you belong to. Know where he's brought you. Know where he's taking you. And in doing that, you don't have to strive to be better than anybody. You can leave envy. You can embrace gratitude. Gratitude. So, I want to share with you and I want to challenge you what I'm trying to embrace over the Lent season. And these are three things that I want to share with you to join with me, and three things I'm trying to put off during my, this Lent season. The first that I challenge you to embrace is I'm trying to find one situation in which I'm going to give up what I see as my right. And I'm going to humble, I'm going to submit myself to authority above me, even if I disagree with what they're going after. But I'm trying to learn what does it mean to submit to an authority that God has put in front of me. I challenge you, even this week, to look for that. The second thing is I'm, gonna, I'm refusing to purchase something uh, during this Lent season that I'm hoping maybe the Lord will teach me to be content without it. And even after the Lent season that I won't need it. But there's something in my life that I'm choosing to not purchase in order to learn how to be content. The third piece is I'm looking for places where I can serve someone else. Where I can humble myself even if I think I'm better than that person and I'm trying to serve. I'm trying to do this without ever involving money. I'm not going to try and just give somebody a money, a financial gift, but I'm trying to find an actual act in which I'm serving people, even if I think this act is beyond me. I challenge you to embrace those three behaviors. I promise you, if you learn submission, if you learn contentment, and if you learn humbleness, your life will ooze gratitude. Let's pray.